Today is the next part in our series on Mark in a Month, and today I'm going to be talking about a, a passage that I've read in Mark, a story I read, and I want to talk about how it spoke to me and how it can speak to you. And uh, I'm titling this The Message at the Center of Mark, Who is Truly Great?, and we're first of all going to look at the story, which is the healing of the blind beggar in Mark 10, 46 to 52. And this is today's reading on our schedule. So if you've not done it yet, don't worry, I'm not going to be giving the game away. I'm going to be mostly focusing on context. Then we're going to look at how this fits in with the central teaching of Mark. And then we're going to look at how this passage speaks particularly. I'm going to talk about how it speaks to me and how it might speak to you. So very quick overview of the seven steps of reading the Bible. And if you haven't been uh, for the last few weeks, you're, you're new, ask me afterwards and I'll give you information about how you can learn about this. But the steps are you begin with prayer, and then you read through today's passage prayerfully. And it's, so you're reading through sequentially through the scriptures, and you're not reading too much or too little, just usually a story. Um, then you write down the title of the passage. Having read it, you write a, come up with the title. You list four or five, or it could be a few more, events or facts in the story. You, you write down how it might connect with the previous uh, stories. And what does the passage generally teach? What would be the teaching from this passage? And then you end by saying, what is the message to me in this passage? <clears throat> so... I'm going to do the last seven verses of today's reading, and we're going to see so much that's there. So first of all, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about the context. So what's the first thing we do? Pray. Pray. Lord, we ask that you will open our eyes as we read your word, and may it speak to each one of us now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, so he must have heard something about him beforehand, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many scolded him to get him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and, and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling you. He threw off his cloak, jumped up and came to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, replied, Rabbi, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go in faith. Go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the road. So we're going to come back to this passage at the end. But I think we're going to read it a little differently once we've seen the amazing context that it's in. And I'm going to take you through the whole of the central section of Mark. 
the, the middle part that fits in our, our process of Mark. And let me just show you, remind you how this works. Mark is in five sections, each one built on, on the other one. Starts with uh, up to the, chapter 629, the kingdom is launched with power. And then we have even greater miracles, challenging teaching from 630 to 821. And then the central section which we're going to be focusing on today is the big revelation, 822 to 1052. Then we move into Jesus talking about the temple, replacing the temple. And then the, the last one is the, this man is the son of God, his death and resurrection, 14 through to the end. And uh, we saw in my second one in the series how each one of these sections is marked with a, a similar story at the beginning and end, which marks out this section. And we're going to see the same thing happening this time. <clears throat> so in the central section, we have, uh, I'm calling it Believe Plus Follow, the half-blind disciples. And we're going to see, they're beginning to be able to see, but they're not doing very well at following and what happens is there are three times in this Jesus states that he will suffer, he will die, he, he, and after he's killed, he'll rise again. Three times he says that. Each time, immediately following Jesus' statement, the, the, statements, the disciples sort of believing, but totally miss the idea of following Jesus by being a servant to others and showing humble service. And they do something terrible, like something awful happens. Like immediately, every, each of the three times, Jesus says it, something terrible happens, and then Jesus ends that by some sort of strong teaching about humbly serving others. And so I'm going to suggest that they, they intellectually beginning to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they are not doing a good job at actually following Jesus. And this is the big thing that happens in the section. And now I'm going to just take you through it in a little bit more detail. Um, we begin with a blind man healed, and he's healed in two stages. First of all, um, he can see trees walking, and then he can be fully see. And I think this is actually the keynote story for the section, because the disciples are beginning to see, but boy, can, they are missing a whole lot. So this is where they are. They're half seeing. So this story is like the, the pattern for the section. And we end it with a blind man, which is the one we're going to focus on, blind Bartimaeus. So those two blind healings mark out the section. Then we have Peter half sees. He says, who do men say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you know, you're the, you're the son of God. Peter says, uh, you are the Messiah. Um, and then we have... Uh, First statement, I will die and rise again. And what happens? How does Peter respond to that? He rebukes Jesus and said, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Not a very good response to this. And then uh, we have um, Jesus gives us some teaching. Take up your cross and follow me. And this is the part that's missing. Peter doesn't want Jesus to suffer. He doesn't get it that Jesus is going to die. Then we have a little bit of uh, some events that happen, the transfiguration, and Jesus casts demons out of the boy. And uh, it's, we don't, won't go into this now, but the transfiguration, do you know where, which mountain it happened at? It was Mount Hermon. 
And this is, you actually have to know a little bit about what was happening at the time um, from ancient writings, but Mount Hermon was considered by the Jews to be the center of demonic power. It was the center of all the spirit world was Mount Hermon. And Jesus went there and was declared to be the son of God in glory. And it's like he's poking his nose at the demons and saying, I've, I'm throwing down a gauntlet now. We're gonna, this is the beginning of the battle. And also, I think it was for Jesus' sake that here, he's going to go into this, this time. It's going to be dying soon, and God is just giving him strength. But the, the, the disciples just got no idea what is happening here. And then we have the, uh, the, the boy that they try and cast the demons out of, and they fail. And quite simply, I think the problem is that they're, they're treating casting out demons as like a ritual, and Jesus is saying, you just need to have prayer, like you just need to trust me. All you need is faith. You're not trusting me in into doing this. And so it's dependence like a child. They're not behaving like a child. Then we go back to um, the statement, I will die and rise again. Uh, Jesus, it's almost the same. Each time he says it, he adds a bit more to it. So I'll die and rise again and a little bit more information. How do the disciples respond to this? by arguing about who is the greatest. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Like they are having this argument um, and um, quite extraordinary and they're embarrassed. We'll look in that a bit more about that in a minute. Um, and then Jesus responds by saying, be like a child. He says, you need to be like a child and cut out hindrances. And um, uh, I'll talk a bit more about that in just a minute. <laughs> And then we have some more teaching, the teaching on divorce. Uh, Jesus blesses children and the story of the rich man. I'll come back to those in a minute. I just want to say that um, the teaching on divorce, um, you have to take that in context of all of Jesus' teaching on, in the Gospels. Jesus isn't saying divorce is never the right thing to do. If the marriage is is broken by adultery or by abuse or something like that, which has effectively destroyed the marriage contract, then divorce is acknowledging its destruction. Um, but it's, it's, it's not, you have to read this in the context of all of Jesus' teaching. Um, and we'll look at these, these uh, other sections in just a minute. And then we have the third time, I'll die and rise again. And how do the disciples respond to that? You're not going to believe this. They argue about who is going to sit on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus in the kingdom. Like, <laughs> what are they talking about? And Jesus responds by saying, be like, be a servant like I am. You need to be a servant. And then we end up with a blind man healed and follows Jesus. And so this is the pattern then of this center section. I'm going to expand on some of these that we've just read, and we'll see what more is in there, and then we can come back to our passage. So um, here's uh, Mark 9, and this is, this is the, first, the first time um, after, sorry, the second time after he's, he's announced who he is, and they're arguing about who is the greatest. Mark 9.33, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. 
After he sat down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And that's just beautiful. Do you ever wonder what happened to that little child? Yeah, do you like maybe, you know, maybe uh, decades later, that child was around like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I'm just reading Mark's passage. That was me. <laughs> so, so anyway, we, we don't know what happened to these children, but what an, it must have been an impact on them for the rest of their lives. Um, so this is his teaching here. Uh, and this is what it means to follow Jesus, to have that humility that, that they were lacking. And you'd think they would get this. You'd think Jesus has been pretty clear on this. Um, Jesus goes on to teach them about following him, removing radical blocks. 9.43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than to have two hands and go into hell to the uncountable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Now these like, sound like pretty, pretty tough words, don't they? And often they're used as like a motivation for Christians. You know, you shouldn't be looking at pornography. Cut your eye out because, you know, you might go to hell. This isn't what it's talking about here. It is not about motivating Christians that they're going to go to hell if they don't, they don't uh, serve Jesus. I mean, it's important that we, 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 we live a pure life and we pray to God to give us strength to do that. But the whole context of this passage is about entering the kingdom. It's about what is blocking you from entering the kingdom. What is getting in the way here? And uh, you need to be ruthless in getting rid of anything that's keeping you from following Jesus. And we see the context of, of the rich man later on. and his, his wealth is stopping him following Jesus. And so that is the challenge here. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I want to be clear on that because uh, Christians can sometimes beat themselves up in a very um, legalistic manner. If I don't follow all these rules, you know, I'm going to go to hell. This is not what the passage is teaching at all teaching about removing, ruthlessly removing blockages to follow Jesus. And entering the kingdom of God and entering life is about entering salvation. It's not about going to heaven here. It's about actually entering the kingdom, which means being saved. So um, that's important to clarify that. Then we go into a passage with um, little children. This is beautiful. Now, people were bringing little children to him for him to touch. And this is after the other one. You can't believe this. After he's already demonstrated with the little children. The disciples scolded those who brought him. In those days, children were seen a lot less important than they are nowadays. Nowadays, people value children as being, you know, we've got to look after our children. 
then they weren't, they still loved them, but they weren't seen as nearly as valuable. Children often died quite young and, and uh, there were, they just didn't value them in the same way. And certainly they didn't have any status. And so the idea of children being brought to Jesus to bless them, uh, the disciples scolded the, those people. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not try to stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So this is a blockage. It's the pride that blocks us. After he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them and blessed them. And so you can see some real tension in this passage between the truth of who Jesus is, which the disciples seem to be getting, and their utter inability to grasp what it means to follow Jesus. And like this idea of this humility, it's staggering. Uh, then we have the man who comes to Jesus, and he's a wealthy man, and he wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And um, again, this is one of these passages that is marked out by bookends. Um, uh, it starts off, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it ends with Jesus saying, do this, and you, uh, you'll, in the age to come, you'll inherit eternal life. So those are marking the beginning and the ending. And... Um, this is, uh, I've talked to you before about the beautiful literary layouts and the way that they would write in those days and the way they would speak and structure things. And we see some of this beauty in this passage. But the most important thing here is that Jesus uh, starts by asking him uh, what the commandments are, well, gives him, gives him five commandments, and he says, uh, Teacher, I, follow, I fully obeyed those laws since my youth. And Jesus has chosen some of the Ten Commandments. He's chosen the ones that are more easily, externally, we can say we've done them. And Jesus looked at him. He loved him. And this is, this is uh, quite powerful. We can miss that. Uh, Anne and I were talking about this after we read the passage. Jesus loved this man. And this is, sometimes Jesus could speak harshly and toughly to people, but he, he loved them so much, that's why he was doing it. So he spoke to this man and said, go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And so this is the part that's missing. He's, he can call him a good teacher, but he's not following him because of this obstacle. And then Jesus says, I tell you, there's no one who's left home and brothers and sisters, mother, father, children, or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. And it's interesting because this is perfectly paralleling the commandments of Moses. So the commandments of Moses, he's given five things. And now he says, actually, it's like an inverse. In Moses told you you had to honor your father and mother. I'm telling you, you might have to leave your father and mother. Moses said, and you mustn't steal someone else's property. I'm telling you, you might have to leave your own property for my sake. And he's not, he's not contradicting Moses, but he's saying, no, this is actually a far higher standard that I'm calling you to. This is what it means to, to, to enter the kingdom. And you'll receive much more in this life and the life to come. So that's this, this amazing parable of the rich young ruler. 
And then we have, how do the disciples respond? <clears throat> James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Have you ever, you know, what would you think if somebody came to you and said, um, um, Adrian, I want you to do something. Whatever I ask you to do, will you do it? You're going to say, well, I'm not going to agree to anything until you tell me what it is. <laughs> you know, come on. Like, they, want, they want a blank check from him. Um, he said, what do you want me to do for you? They said, permit one of us to sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. In other words, we want the primary place of status in the kingdom. We want to be the greatest. We want to be up there in the position of status. And uh, this is, this is uh, uh, what they're asking for. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with my baptism? And uh, he's, they're not able to do that. <clears throat> and so uh, that's, that's the disciples still in this place of not getting it. And then we have what is probably the climax of this mountain of Mark, which peaks right in the middle. Jesus called them and said to them, you know that those who recognize as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions use their authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And if you like, this is the pinnacle text of the book of Mark. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are here in this text. If you're a follower of Jesus, then uh, this is you who Jesus has come to serve. Jesus came to serve you. Isn't that incredible that he would come to serve you? That God, the infinite creator God, reveals himself in Jesus as a servant. Wow, that's what God is like. What other religion is there in the world where the primary infinite supreme being should actually reveal themselves as a servant? And this is how Jesus does as a servant. And he's come to serve you and me. And if you're not a Christian today, then this, this is something that is open to you. He offers this to you to serve you on the condition you're willing to join him on this pathway and you're willing to be a servant for others, joining him along the way, willing to suffer on his behalf in the promise that everything will be lifted off you and you'll be given joy. So this is the amazing, beautiful calling that we have right here at this climax. So what we've done then is we've, we've read the story and I've taken you through the central teaching of Mark. And I've been showing you these passages to try and highlight where we're going. And we've seen the contrast between the, the teaching of Jesus and the inability of them to follow this servant teaching that he's giving to them. And so now we're going to look at how this speaks to us. And finally, we're going to read today's story, and I'm going to ask 
how it fits, speaks to us. So let's just look at our overall picture. We're right at the bottom there. The blind man healed and follows Jesus. And we've seen uh, the idea of blindness, of spiritual blindness permeating this. They just don't get it. They don't get what Jesus is saying. And uh, now we have a blind beggar has come to Jesus and they stop him. This blind man and this blind man saw that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That can only mean one thing. Son of David can only mean that he's the Messiah. Because that's what the prophetic words were, the prophecy to David that he would have a son that would, you know, his line that would be the, the ruler. All of the prophecies in the Old Testament, everybody would know what he meant. He's basically saying, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. So here's a man. Is he blind? Well, he's half blind is the opposite way to the disciples, right? He, he can't see physically, but boy, can he see spiritually? So here he is. Many scolded him to, get, to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, Messiah, in other words, promised one, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling you. He threw off his cloak, jumped up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied, Rabbi, let me see again. Jesus is building his faith there, calling him to, to grow in his faith. Um, Jesus said to him, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he regained his sight. And let's not miss this last phrase because this is key, followed him. And this is what this section is all about. Jesus is calling people to follow him. They get it intellectually, but they don't follow him. This man ends up with both. This man gets, he understands who Jesus is and he follows him. And this is just a beautiful climax to this section. But what I want to, to, to bring us to is how this spoke to me, because this is so this is just a such a beautiful passage uh, about how Jesus served the beggar. Jesus was serving this blind man. The others weren't willing to do it. They thought, this man, what is he bothering this great teacher for? They weren't willing to do it. But uh, this is what the kingdom is all about. Serving God by serving others. You can't avoid this message in the center of Mark. And so here is my last slide, and this is what I got from this passage when I was reading this passage. Be encouraged. Jesus sees everything you do. Everything that you do in serving him, every tiny thing that you do in serving him, Jesus sees. If you want to become truly great, then you need to come to this Jesus as a little child rather than a self-important and self-confident person. Come to him 
Give yourself entirely to him, trusting that as you lose your life by serving in his name, he will give it back to you in true greatness. And the key idea is that he sees every little thing you do for his kingdom. And this is what so deeply touched me and encouraged me this week. Everything I do, God sees. God sees whoever put the chairs out today, who, who, are, were looking, who are looking after kids even when that wasn't their job, they were helping. God is seeing that. God watches. God watches you serving. The little things you do, he's counting them. Nobody else might see something you do. There might be some mess. Nobody see you clear it up. God sees it. God sees. You see somebody who looks a little lonely, you go and say hello to them. God sees that. This is your being Christ-like. This is the Jesus who saw the blind beggar, heard him, and healed him. We might think, you know, I want to speak in stadiums for God. You know, I want to do mighty things. Uh, I want to be a great influencer for God. But actually, it's, it's the little things that God is watching, and God is counting those. He's seeing all of those things. He sees... God's noticed every act of love and service you do, everything. And this touched me so deeply because it encouraged me that, you know, I should just, I could be serving God like all the time I can be doing things that are Christ-like. All the time, every moment, every interaction I have, I can remember. I can be Jesus in this interaction. I can just so, I can try and serve this person. How can I serve this person in this conversation? And trying to write the script into myself, it's hard because, of course, the flesh wants to do the opposite, but it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and so powerful. And so I was very moved when I read this. And I, I think you, you know, God may be speaking something differently to you as well as this today, but I think at least and when you read this passage in going through Mark, he will, he will be speaking this to you. That he is the one, Jesus is the one who modeled for us what it's like to please God to be in the kingdom by just serving the lowliest, doing the smallest things and putting himself in a position of service. And as we do that, God is so pleased because we are being Christ-like. Does that encourage you? Does that encourage you? You don't have to be some superman or superwoman to do this. Like You can, wherever you are, you can be fully equipped to be so pleasing to God if you get this message. So let's get this message in Mark. Let's not be like the disciples who just didn't get it. Eventually they got it, of course, but who, they didn't get it here. Let's really understand what Jesus is calling us into. We don't just call him Messiah. We don't just call him the Son of God, but we follow him as the one who serves and gives a life for serving others. Let's pray, shall we? Our dear Lord, we thank you for... What a beautiful nature you have. What a lovely, wonderful, serving heart you have. Moral in Jesus, just serving us and giving his life for us. Just gently leading us along. Thank you for your patience with your disciples. Thank you for your patience with us. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage us today and this week and in the rest of our lives to live out 
what Jesus is teaching us here in this passage. We ask it in his name. Amen.